back to Radio Brews News, the podcast that is pioneering beer podcasting. As ever, I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, executive producer, uh, editor-in-chief of Critics' Choice Australia's Best Beers, and just about anything that you would like to name in beer in Australia, Professor Pete Mitchum. Pete, welcome back. G'day, Matt. G'day, listeners. That was very nice of you. Thank you for that. I do a lot. I didn't realise. Well, mate. I, I now understand you, 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 <laughs> why I'm not around the house very much. So hopefully Mrs. <laughs> well, as I like to say, yeah, go on. if you don't charge anything, you're always exactly. busy. Exactly. Yeah. And hope and hopefully when you know when Mrs. Pilsner gets around to listening to the uh, the podcast, you'll understand why I'm not around either. Cool. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that has, that... Mate, uh, now pioneering beer and yeah. pioneering yes. beer, beer casting. I've been seeing it everywhere at the moment. Um WTF as the kids say. Uh, uh, with an OMG. What's it all about? Um it's a new ad, isn't it? It's an ad for beer or something. Isn't well, it? I don't think it's new because when I did a quick uh, Google, oh, and no, our uh, primary research tool, yep. it's that ridiculous ad where you know the beer goes through and it's filtered over. Can I? Yeah, can I? Can and... I explain a little bit? Can I? Can I sort of give a little bit? You know, like the um, the 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 Twitter hundred and forty one character uh, pricey for those who haven't seen the, the ad. elevator pitch. So it's a it's hard super yep. dry, right? That's that's the premise, and it's. Here's how we make the beer. So you get some malt and it gets smashed yep. up by World Wrestling Federation people and goes through Kung Fu movies and then it goes through some other thing and gets tipped over trophies and ends up in a great big Elvis thing and then it's drunk at the end by... I just noticed... Go on. This is one of those things that when they when they show how it's made, they show hot flowers dropping delicately into well, it, not... Now- Liquid hop extract. Go back, go, go and back they to show malt. Yeah, even in this one, in this one. So this is the thing I was getting at. Where are the hops? I don't. I don't see the. I've seen the full version of the ad, and I've even like. Okay, the, I know. I, I know that they show malt, but they don't show any sugar. They don't show any uh, liquid sucrose. They don't show any hop extracts. They don't show any enzymes being added to make this uh, super light, you know, super yep. dry beer. Um, but the, cra- the, anyway, the the funniest yeah. bit for me is at the end, it goes out through all this pipe work, and gets poured by a guy who's hanging out of a helicopter. Now he's either on the run, he's he just it's just a dodgy looking bloke. He looks like a low level drug dealer from out of Burn Notice. For those people who who watched that show, he's kind of like that Miami drug lord underlord kind of look cross. Kitty Fiddler. Like, I, it was interesting, <laughs> just interesting casting. Cause I look, every time I look at it, I go, Yo, I don't want to drink a beer with you. I want to, I want to phone Crime Stoppers quietly on my phone under the bar table. You know, it, it's for me, that was just a, the, the rest of it was all a bit funny. And it kind of go, you know, like the, the beer is, you know, conditioned through, you know, through the, the big Elvis jacketed, um, uh, conditioning tank and, and whatever. But the two things yeah, that really worried me, one, I didn't see any hops go in with hot flowers or extract or anything. I couldn't see that bit. Like the, the beer was tipped over trophies. So maybe they were second trophies or most improved. or And, and so it was drenched in bitterness. <laughs> <Or competitive. laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Particip- participant. You know, thanks for turning up trophies. Exactly. Every child wins a prize day prize. Um, yeah, and so perhaps they were soaked in bitterness, and that's that's where the that's the hop um, uh, replacement. I don't know. 
interesting out there, but I think we're a little bit. I think we're saying that we've already given it far too much uh, notice than it probably warrants. Yeah, but I think that um, it's probably nicely tongue in cheek that we compare ourselves to that because I, um, I think we're all natural ingredients by comparison. But look, it, beer is a broad church, isn't it? I heard a, a wise man say um, just on the last podcast, actually. In fact, it was you, and it's true. So that's all beer. And there's, you know, there's there's only two kinds of beer as far as I'm concerned. There's there's beer that's well made and there's beer that's poorly made. Um, there, there's a, a spot for all of it. Um, that's just it, that's not my go-to beer, but I'm sure for a lot of people it is. Exactly. And and speaking of which, uh, that, that's a nice segue into uh, a man who would agree with you and talk about how well it is made is uh, Professor Charlie Bamforth, a good friend of our show and friend of the uh, program, a man who is coming to Melbourne. A good friend of the program and uh, talks about beers middle way. Um, he's going to be in Melbourne and we've uh, at the end of the last show that we recorded with him that came out in February, uh, he agreed to come to the pub with us. So uh, we put up details this week on the Have a Pint with Charlie or a podcast from the pub, whatever yep. you want to call it. We were going to call it live from a local, but that sounds a little bit too confusing because it's not at the local. It's at... Uh, the Great Northern Hotel. In Carlton, yes. In in Carlton. So, yes, Melbourneites or people that are willing to travel to uh, to meet a beer legend. 27th of March, uh, 6.30 for a 7 o'clock start. You'll get to hear Pete and I speak live with Charlie Bamforth. Our friends at Thunder Road Brewing uh, have kicked in a keg of beer. So, depending on numbers, you'll get probably two free beers or well, two beers for your $11. Um, or if you figure that Charlie himself is worth $11, then you are getting two free beers at least and maybe even a third uh, one. And um, the, and yeah, it'll be... yeah if, we can, if we can cover the cost of getting, you know, uh, Charlie in a taxi from his um, his room to the pub and back, then we'll be happy. It's not about sort of, uh, you know, making money or that sort of thing. Hopefully we can just sort of cover the costs and, uh, and Al and Jess down at the uh, Great Northern uh, working beautifully to look after us. And it'll be a great night. As Matt intimated it's kind of just turn up at the pub and sit around having a bit of a chat with a bloke uh who just happens to be particularly interesting we've had a fantastic response to the two podcasts that we've recorded with him and uh you know he's the sort of guy that if you're you know whether a small craft brewer or a home brewer or just somebody that's really interested in how beer is made you're going to have the chance to ask uh, all of your beer questions of a, a man who certainly is well qualified to answer them, unlike you and I, Pete, who tend to make things as we up. go along. As we go along. But I think if you yeah, you say it with a straight face and you nod and, and sort of look reasonably stern and serious, people will believe you. Exactly, exactly. So uh, any other news this week, Pete? Um, we've got a fairly long interview ahead, so uh, yeah, no, uh, yesterday was the hop harvest down at Red Hill, down on the Mornington Peninsula. And for the first time in three years, did I, I didn't there? get down there. No, no, it was it was oversubscribed. They did have quite a few people there, and uh, I will be trotting on down to a slightly larger hop harvest next week. So I had to kind of rearrange a few bits and pieces. So got in touch with oh, which ones? Uh, that? that would be the, the Bushy Park. Oh, you're heading down to Tasmania, are I you? Am. I'm just going to pop down there for, as a guest of Cascade. As a guest Brewery. of Cascade, yes. Our, our very good friends at Cascade, and also going to. T oh, I mean, it's going to be you know a business trip. Don't you know? Don't, there won't be any swan. Well, you know, there's going to be a lot of swanning around and drinking beer and that. But I'm going to uh, tee up some interviews as well with uh, with Mike Unsworth. We're we're um, 
we've got a, an in-principle agreement. He's going to come on and talk to us and we just need to work out a, a time <laughs> uh, and all that sort of thing. Uh, and uh, nice bloke, Mike. And we uh, we met him, well, I met him uh, on his first day on the job. So it'll be interesting to sort of follow up and see how he's, uh, how he's tracking a year and a bit down the track um, and what's in store for Cascade, what they've got in store for us. And of course, to see the Hop Harvest catch up with Tim Lord, another good friend of the program and a sponsor of uh, the bursary. Yeah. Um, but to actually see it all and smell it all, because I know you've done it. So it's, uh, I'm looking forward to that. It really is uh, one of the great beer experiences. Uh, it's certainly one of the great experiences that I've had. I mean, I've, I've had the chance to tour a lot of breweries. And, you know, even though I'd love to go to some of the great breweries of the world and meet the brewers, um, you know, it's standing around looking at stainless steel. Um, true, you do get to try some very good beers um, at a brewery, but... You know, I don't think I'd ever get tired of walking through the hop fields and, you know, being in the drying sheds and, you know, because it's just one of those experiences that really brings back, you know, it restores the you know, sense of place and the agricultural uh, basis of beer and, you know, the, the, the passion. And it really gives you an idea that, you know, yeah, you know, whilst you don't want to be too much of a wanker about it, um, you know, beer is, you know, has all the things that wine has. Yes, yeah, it has a sense of place, it has provenance, it has uh, vintage and all those sorts of, yeah. I, I'm just I'm really looking forward to it because I've, I've, I've seen it from afar, looking forward to seeing it up close. Well, have fun. Um, yeah, unfortunately, our uh, Hot Products Australia recipient couldn't get down there this year. He uh, wasn't able to sort of get away midweek for work, uh, so I'm glad you're able to get down there. Yes, I'll, uh, I'll, I shall um, file a piece while I'm down there for Bruce News. That and uh, <laughs> I'm sure you will. Um, now we do have a uh, um, interview. We're speaking. Who are we speaking? We've got a special today? guest, um, a very oh. special guest, waiting on the line. Uh, we have another one that we have spoken to before. Don't get the feeling, listeners, that we're running out of talent already. It's just that certain uh, things happen and, and certain things are relevant and current, and we try to be uh, reasonably current and also sometimes regular. And sometimes you end up, you know. It just occurred. It just so happens that it's 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 appropriate that we speak to somebody twice, and in this case, it's uh, Scott Vincent from Matilda Bay Brewing Company, who have just moved into some new digs in Port Melbourne, which uh, I'm sure Scott will tell us all about in just a sec. Uh, and I reckon he'll have some very interesting things to say. Have we have we already recorded? Well, let's. But this are we are we are we you know doing this? Sorry, I'm talking behind my hand. Are we doing this? No, no, no. Do they yeah, know no, that no, we've we, already we, interviewed him. <laughs> do I pretend? Do I pretend that we? Don't know what we're going to talk about. Or... No, no, Prof. We'll, we'll we'll come clean and uh, not you know not do the smoke and mirrors. We actually recorded this uh, a week or so ago. We're recording this intro on the eighth of March, um, and we spoke to Scotty last week. So uh, yeah, just to try and get things out regularly, we're trying to get a, a few interviews recorded early on. So no, we'll uh, we'll fess up and say that we're not. He's not really live online. We're just he's uh, not. He's not, he's not really waiting intro. while we're talking. <laughs> Yeah, look, Barry Crocker never used to go in every night to record the uh, end of uh, Neighbours, so I'm pretty sure that we can get away with it as well. I think so. So, Anyway, without any further ado, we will uh, speak, we will play our interview with Scotty Vincent. Let's do that. And we're joined by Scott Vincent, the head brewer of Matilda Bay Brewing Company. Scotty, welcome to Radio Brews News for the second time. Thank you very much. Now, Scott, as I said, we've had you on before when we uh, had a bit of a chat about what is craft beer. I think uh, 
going back seven or eight months, episode two, uh, my executive producer reliably informs me. But I don't think we had much of a uh, chance to talk back then about who is Scott Vincent. Um, so, uh, Scott, what is your favourite colour? Uh, yeah, good question. That <laughs> um, At the moment, I'm down in Melbourne, grey, because if you don't like it, bad luck. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's uh, all manners of colours, really. Depends what beer you're making, I'm guessing. Pretty much, yeah. We're interested in ruby at the moment, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> no, we'll get to that. But, Scott, tell us a little bit about how you came to uh, be a brewer. You, uh, unlike a couple of the guys you've got in the Matilda Bay uh, Brewery, you came through a scientific background. That's right, yeah. I um, <clears throat> was a lab rat many years ago and uh, yeah, just did um, um, microbiology biotechnology at New South Wales uh, University and uh, <clears throat> didn't really have a clear idea of what I wanted to do, just was kind of okay at science and thought, oh yeah, this took my interest. And then when I went to uni, bi um, molecular biology was quite interesting, so I took a major in that and came out the other end with a degree and uh, luckily enough um, got a job with a company called Burns Philp, which was at the time the largest manufacturer of baker's yeast. So that's really where I got interested in, in, in fermentation in its more pure forms. Um, so yeah, I was, I was working there as a microbiologist um, and we did a lot of molecular biology work, so genetic engineering for want of a better word. Um, and it was good fun, you know, good team, young group of scientists, I think there were 70 people there. And uh, and then, uh, lo and behold, this day, I read in the paper, they needed a microbiologist for the Kent Brewery in Sydney, and I thought all my Christmases had come at once. <laughs> I thought it was unbelievable. <laughs> and I actually thought I had no chance of getting it, because I thought every single bloke I went to uni with would be uh, fighting over that job. Um, <clears throat> uh, luckily enough, I got the job, and I've never looked back since. So, how long ago was that? Um, oh, it's got to be closing on 15 years now. Uh, yeah, 97, yeah, so what's that, 97, uh, 13 years, 13, 12, 13 years, yeah, so it's uh, gone quick, gone quick. So you, you, you've been, you, you've done a tour at a couple of the uh, CUB breweries, um, and then in uh, 2009, you were appointed, 2008, head, yeah. 2008, appointed head brewer to Matilda Bay? Yeah, I, um, I started at Sydney, and I, was, I think I was microbiologist for about six months, and uh, we had a very small brewing team at Sydney at that stage, I think it was only two brewers on a, you know, about a three million hectolitre brewery, um, and uh, so I got moved across into brewing uh, very quickly, about six months after I started, I was across in brewing, and uh, that was fantastic, um, really interesting plant, Sydney, you know, very old plant, not as old as Cascade, but very old, lots of in very interesting, you know, ways of working, and and all sorts of stuff, and it was a great environment. I loved it. Uh, I used to love the runs we used to do around Sydney Harbour. That was pretty pretty special. You know, only five minutes from the water, so that was pretty cool. Um, and learnt my trade there, which was a really interesting place. And then um, we, we, I think that a fateful decision was made to close it down, which was pretty sad, actually. And so I uh, was part of the team that started pulling the plant apart and uh, moving bits and pieces of it up to Yatla. And uh, as a consequence, I managed to smuggle myself inside a, inside a container, as the story goes. And, uh, you know, surprise! <laughs> the other end, yeah. so I got moved up with uh, most of the equipment and then um, was part of the team that, uh, you know, helped uh, build, rebuild Yatla. So that was an um, amazing project to be on. Absolutely amazing from, you know, lifting tanks, see the tanks being lifted out of Sydney. So if you can imagine a 20 metre, well, say, say you've got a, a five storey building, 
and then you lifted up another five stories high because that's how high the tanks were. Um, so you had this, this we've got these great photos of these tanks coming out of the middle of Sydney, you know, 10 stories in the air. Uh, and then all of Sydney behind it, which is amazing stuff. Then they were laid down and driven down the main drag of Sydney, um, which was quite a funny story in itself. We, you know, we had these boys from the western suburbs of Sydney doing amazing stuff with these tanks on and lifting them. And um, we said to them, "Well, when are you going to move?" And they said, "Oh, we're thinking of doing it on Saturday night at midnight." And we all looked at each other and we said, "Saturday, Saturday night in Sydney, midnight is like bigger than peak hour. You know, you can't move." We called it the Cinderella effect. Everyone had to be for home before midnight, otherwise they turned into a pumpkin and you couldn't move. These blokes go, "Ah, it'll be right." <laughs> we went, mm, "Okay," and sure enough, it was absolutely peak hour. But it was just an amazing sight. You have every pub in between the brewery and Patrick's Wharf at the time, where the, the tanks were being held before moving them. Every pub emptied and people were just standing there cheering as these massive tanks just got dragged down the main street of Sydney. So, yeah, and then um, put them up in Yatla and, and built the brewery around them and amazing experience. And you spent a bit of time up there and uh, the, I guess that experience would have given you a bit of uh, background when you, you came to move the Yatla brewery. No, sorry, they came to move the Matilda Bay brewery. Oh, absolutely, yeah. This is the second one I've done. Um, yeah, the difference was I was just one of the small part of a big team up at Yatlow where this one was, uh, yeah, you're the Johnny on the spot. So this one was, um, I found, uh, yeah, much more challenging because, you know, you, you had to be over every decision from, you know, discussing tradeway systems with council to negotiating with a landlord to, yeah. So this was a really interesting project because it was all in, just like, you know, uh, craft brewing, it's all encompassing. You know, you know everything from, you know, you've got to know something about ordering the raw materials all the way through to making the beer and then sending it out on a truck. So it's kind of mirrors what goes on in craft brewing. Small scale, hands on, you've got to know a little bit about everything. That, that, that probably shines a bit of a spotlight, Scott, on, uh, I guess, an issue that a lot of people um, have with breweries that are, are not independently owned, shall we say. Uh, and they sort of consider that, uh, in effect, or you know, by default, the beer that comes out is not necessarily craft beer. You, you've, mm. you've sort of basically just uh, pointed out why it is. Well, that's. I think you're right. You're absolutely right. Both you and I, you know, we've all done enough beer dinners and chats with uh, beer lovers and all the rest of it, and, and customers. To that's quite a common common theme, isn't it? People go, well, why am I paying, you know, fifty dollars a case or sixty dollars a case for your beer, or whatever it is, seventy bucks. When, um, you know, I can go and buy draft or whatever, you know, Carlton Cold or whatever it is for, you know, 30 bucks or 40 bucks a case or whatever on special. And, and then you explain exactly what we do and you get them through the brewery and you say, you know, um, it's all when we talk about handcrafted, you know, you've got a brewer standing up there uh, tearing open a bag of malt and inspecting every bag of malt that goes in. People start going, oh, yeah, I, I, handcrafted is not just a throwaway line. It's not just something that a marketing team has come up with. It, it's it's a case of that's exactly what happens. You know, the brewers, the same guy that not Neil. You know, he he orders things and Kate and Tim and and um, I was going to say Anya there, but she's bolted, hasn't she? <laughs> she's um, gone on to bigger and better. <laughs> <laughs> Chloe, it's Chloe. So she thought it's Chloe. Yeah. So Chloe's just, you know the same thing. They're they're ordering the materials. You know they're receiving them, they're, you know, jumping on the forklift, unloading the truck and, you know, putting it away and making sure it's right and tastes okay. And then, you know, then they, they get the pick list for the, the brew. What have we got? Brew card comes out. There it is, you know, 14 bags of this, two bags of that. Away we go. So, um, you know, and, and they open each bag of hops that come in and inspect it. So, yeah, it is. Handcrafting is, is absolutely legit. You know, it's, um, 
and that's what people people have that concept. Even people that aren't in the uh, don't really have a deep dive in what craft brewing is, and it's only something that they're just. I like the beer, don't really know what it is. What is craft brewing? Um, they're quite amazed at exactly, uh, especially if you can get if you can get them down to the brewery, which is um, fantastic. But even if you just you know have a chat to them and or you throw up a few photos of of what the place looks like, and and that really changes people's opinion. Does that change it then when? your bigger beers move out of the uh, small brewery um, and you go off somewhere like Cascade, does that, you know, because it's a little bit more automated, you don't have that hands-on approach um, to the beers, does that render them less crafty if, if, you know, if that hands-on process is, is, is a big part of the craft? I guess it comes down to what your, your definition of a craft beer is. If you say there's a volume, if you ha have some aspirations about a volume being part of a definition of craft, well, then I guess the answer is yes. My, my and, I, and I think I'm, I think most of us generally agree is my kind of uh, my discussion point about craft is the way it tastes and and uh, and, and the way it's made. Um, and so, if you if you're completely sold on um, as volumes and absolute, it has to be under a certain volume, and, and that can be an arbitrary number. Uh, then you know it, it will change things, but my belief is what does the beer taste like, and how, and 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 you know what are the ingredients in it. So if it's you know all malts, um, you know it's hopped in different ways. If you're using unusual, um, not unusual hops, but new styles of hops and varieties, and it gives you a, a lovely multi flavour and a lovely hoppy flavour, and you're dry hopping and doing all these things, um, wouldn't it be great? I say that the maturity of the craft you know, craft beer in this country is at a, such a level that, you know, we're required to make beers in big breweries because that's how many people want to drink it. To me, that's just an indication of maturity of where craft beer drinkers are at, that their first beer of choice is a craft beer as opposed to, oh, I might have one of those, but I'll always fall back to the Carlton Draft six-pack or something like that. So I, I, tend, I tend to think it, it's got less to do with volume and more to do with flavour and things like that. And that comes back to our argument, like, you know, great brewers like Cooper's. You know? Well, I'm, I'm I'm with you on that. I think that when beers like uh, you know, Fat Yak grow out of a, a small brewery, mm. um, that's you know, as you know, I've sort of uh, had my say on some of the low carb beers and <laughs> and that sort of thing. Um, Our usual uh, discussion topic at a pub. <laughs> yeah, well, but uh, you know, we, we, we might get to that yet. But uh, <laughs> you know, I, I guess if if you look at the mainstream beers, you know, like whether it's Tui's New or Phoebe or Forex. As being the benchmark, um, you know, beer can go one or two ways at the moment. It can go down the way of the Corona, Summer Bright Lager, Great mm. Northern, um, with less bitterness and less flavour, or it can mm. go the way of Fat Yak, which has more flavour. And uh, if beers like Fat Yak are growing to that level, um, that's a really positive thing for the category of beer. Um, in, oh, I think it is too. I think it's. Oh, you know, Anya, when Anya was, was working with us and we were doing the Fed Square, which is coming up again soon, um, you know, she was she used to come home after that, or come back to the brewery afterwards and kind of say, you know, Fat Yak is, she'd almost say, it's so well known now, it's so well known that it's, it's you know, it, it's it's like mainstream beer. You know, everywhere you go, well, especially in Victoria, you can walk into most pubs and there'll be a tap of Fat Yak around. Um and, which, and it, which, it does show, which which is to me is exciting because it means beers that really are, you know, um, develop have interesting flavours, interesting profiles, are different, are, are starting to get to the point now where people are choosing to have them more often, which is great. Um, that that raises a question. We uh, put out on Twitter that we were speaking to you and asked if uh, 
the punters had any questions. And mm -hmm. uh, Frozen Summers has come up uh, with a question exactly that. Has the yak been toned down over the years as the hopheads like to claim? Um, no, it hasn't. Uh, but it's something that we're very conscious of is, um, and, and what I say to people is that uh, each season's uh, hops and malts change. And the, while the recipe is kind of set in stone to a certain extent, it's the only way you can really do it when you're, when, um, you're making um, a product that you know people like. So you just you kind of lock your recipe away and you say that's how it's made. You know you make it this way. Uh, it's this many this many kilos of malt. This much you know your liquor to grist ratios. This and that and the other thing. You add the hops at this point. You add this much amount of hops. But what we have noticed is seasons of hops change and vary. And uh, so what we've actually noticed is that um, we have to approach it in a slightly different manner. In terms of um, we do notice that you get variation in hop flavour um, quite a bit. And so we're yeah we're 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 having a rethink on how we actually deal with that. It's a really tough kind of uh, thing to do. Uh, and, and being a scientist, like being my background is, you test everything and you measure it. And sometimes it's not easy to measure those compounds that you're actually tasting. Like you can taste it on your palate easily, but sometimes to get the chemistry behind it, to try and work out what it is, is a bit tricky. And so you think, well, I don't want to change anything because I know it works. But you know, you people are right. They are. They they say sometimes, you know, yeah, it's it's a little bit different and hoppy. And you go, well, we get the same thing with bees and these people say, you're adding less honey. And I can guarantee you we're not. Absolutely 100% because I see the bill. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's uh, it's the same, but it does vary. And so that, that that's, I think, what people are picking up. Is, 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 is there any change? Um, you know, you're talking about lifting bags of uh, malt up uh, at, at the garage um, brewery. It's, it's a little bit more automated where you've got the uh, augers. Um, yeah, absolutely. Cascade. Yep. Um, yep. So you, you, you've got bigger bags. Um, the, how, how are the hops? Do, do you did you use hop flowers when it was in? Uh, no, we, the, we the, always ran we always ran uh, pellets. We've always pellets. ran pellets. Yeah, um, and um, it's the same. Actually, the one thing that actually doesn't change very often in breweries is unless you go to a, a really uh, uh, uber cool one or an uber new one is hops have always salts and hops have always been hand weighed out generally. Um, so at Cascade, the hops are still hand weighed. Um, the malt is definitely all get in. It's all get into a, what you call a weigh bin. So it's basically, you know, for one of a better picture, it's a it's a great big stainless steel tank uh, on four kitchen scales or four bathroom scales, but obviously industrial versions of it. So you can actually measure up the weight of it, and so that's the difference. But generally, hops. I know it. I know it. Cascade hops are in Sydney were the same. We used to measure up hops by hand weighed out in buckets and then turf it into the kettle. How does it work then when you go to the the massive brews? What, what's the the brew length at Cascade? Cascade, I think, is about two hundred and seventy hex, and so we're twenty five hex. You know, so it's a tenfold increase. Okay, so so that's but that's the uh, annual production, isn't it? No, uh, no, no. That that that's just one brew at Cascade, two hundred and seventy hectolitres. Okay. So so I'm just trying. To, so I'm trying to do the maths. Mm. Yeah, multiplied by yeah, take away the first hundred. Is it? Isn't that two hundred and seventy thousand litres? Uh, yeah, that's right. At, at two zeros. Oh, okay. I thought because I thought at Yatler was one hundred and fifty thousand litres. Yatler each brew is eighty five thousand litres. Okay. So eighty five. I'm struggling on the big numbers. With this it's, that's <laughs> the issue. That, that's the issue. Like, well, imagine me when I was a bloody microbiologist. I dealt with microliters and milligrams and picograms of DNA. And someone came along and said, 
yeah, we've got each fermenter and it holds 1.44 million stubbies. And you go, well, <laughs> so, okay. again. so, so we, we might just go back. So the um, the, the kettles at the uh, garage are how many litres, not hectolitres? Just so oh, I don't have to God, do that. If you're going to talk in litres, you're going to confuse me. Put okay. it this way. 25, it, it basically, yeah, 20, 20, 20, yeah, 2,500. 500, yep, okay. Yeah. And then you basically you got, I think, about a tenfold uh, scale up for Cascade. I think. Okay. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the number. Okay, so 25,000, not 250,000. Okay. Yeah. And then you've got 85,000 for somewhere like Yadala. Yeah, and then, um, okay. you know, Sydney and I think Sydney and the old brewery kettles in, we're 1,000 hex and, and uh, so 100,000, you know. So, um, yeah, they're, they're big, big vessels when you start getting up to big breweries. Big, so how do you vessels. go then, um, you know, when you move, um, when a beer moves from, for example, Cascade to somewhere like Abbotsford or Cascade, is it is it still pellets um, being used? or? Yeah. Yep. And it's still hand weighed, or yep. what? Are, what are the process changes? The the really hard work's done by the engineering engineers, you know, the guys that build these plants, and uh, and all the thought that you go into behind it. So, you know, big big plants tend to have more automation, and the reason is, especially well, a lot of it's driven these days by health and safety. Um, so when you're brewing, you know, um, say you're brewing 25 hectolitres and you throw three kilos of hops in, if you bring it up by a factor of ten then you're throwing in 30 kilos. Now, an average bloke could throw in 30 kilos. It's like two 15-kilogram bags, big deal. Yep. If you multiply by five to get it up to a bigger size again, so up to 1,000 hectolitres or something like that, all of a sudden you're throwing in basically the equivalent of a fully grown man. You know, So that's what tends to drive a lot of these things is you don't, you don't want your people that are making beer you know, lugging 80, 90, 100 kilos of hops up and down stairs or up and down the vessels and... You know, if you're brewing in 10 brews a day, that's a, a lot of lifting you've got people doing. And in the old days, when we, you know, we didn't have automation and stuff like that, that's how you did it. You just threw people at it. But that's, you know, you've got to be careful, careful about how, you, how your people are lifting things and how they're twisting and all that sort of stuff comes into play there with occupational health and safety. So automation helps you. So you have, you know, augers, just like you move malt, you can move hops with augers or, and then you can just put it into a vessel, weigh it again. And then uh, you check that it's okay by going over a squizzy. And then uh, when you need to drop it into your kettle, you can open a valve and it, it falls into your kettle or something like that. So the big, the, which, which probably also bigger, you, you help, right. automation helps you. I have to say that we weren't actually planning on going down this route. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> technical was, discussion. But, it's going to be a bit yeah, boring. Once, Matt, get, once Matt gets his calculator out, there's no turning back. Oh, no. <laughs> but, like, beer is a conversation and we go where the conversation leads. So, like, I'm, so I'm exactly. actually uh, quite interested in this. Um, not that I wasn't interested before. Um, but so. At, at what point, um, I, I, with some of the mainstream beers and main, some of the mainstream lagers where um, perhaps hop character isn't as um, important um, and you start using things like the um, hop extracts that can be added at any point yep. of the, uh, the, the the brewing process, what decision process is involved at a, at, at a company level to say, well, let, let's move from um, pellets um, and we'll go to... Uh, hop extracts for, for, for yeah. this beer and is, is that something that would ever you know god forbid happen to a matilda bay beer if it got big enough no you, it's it's the other way around you actually start from scratch with it okay so, uh, hop extracts and those things impart flavors certain style of flavors uh one of the kettle hops have a very astringent um and very distinct flavor profile okay where hop extracts tend to be very subtle and soft so you get the bitterness without the astringency and so that's what the attraction um, for uh, a lot of uh, brewers around the world to use hop extract 
um, it was one of the bonuses. The other, uh, the other, the other effect, of course, is you get you get better efficiencies and things like that. So you, you can control it much more accurately. You know, you get a more stable product. You get a, a more um, consistent product, which is what you know when you're selling lots and lots of beer. The people that you're selling the beer to want to know when they open that bottle that it's very, very similar. You know, it tastes the same as the last bottle. And so that's one of the aspects. But one of the, the one of the things, the, the great defining characteristics of it is that it has a very subtle, it gives you the bitterness, and but it gives you without that astringency, whereas uh, kettle hop products like Resh's and, and traditional products like that and, and all the craft brews tend to have that certain type of bit astringency in the bitterness as well. And it also gives you grassiness, as you know, from dry hopping and all those sort of things. So it's very much a flavour profile which defines what product you're going to use and what you're trying to aim for. And so it's more um, at the start of when you're making a product, like you make, I'm going to make a beer um, and um, I want it to taste in a, I want to taste a certain way. And so therefore that can give you, okay, if I want to taste, make it taste this way, what ingredients are open to me to use it? And so then you go through, righto, um, I'll use uh, a kettle hop and that'll give me that um, astringency to it, which I really like and I really uh, seek in a beer. Or I'll say no, no. If I'm, a, uh, I'm a, if I'm looking for something different, then I might say uh, I'd use a, um, a, you know, a HP6 or one of those Tetra products or those things. We we tend not to use those in craft beers because they're that, for that reason alone, the flavour profile is is distinctly different, and we want we want those flavours. We want those hoppy kettle hop edition flavours. They we we I find them I find them lovely. So does that answer your question? It's, it's yeah, really no, no, about it flavour profile of the beer that will drive those things. Because ultimately, you know, as I always say, um, you're making a beer so that in the aim that someone buys it and if they buy it, they buy it because they like it. And so yep. you don't want to, you don't want to, you know, you, 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 you're petrified to change something um, because you think, oh, gee, if I change it and, and, and people don't like it, then they stop buying it. So you want to give them what they're, what they're, what they're, why they're buying it, and which is flavour generally with craft beers. Is it cheaper to work with hop extracts, or is it more convenient? Um, you know, you, I think you, it's a little bit of all of the above you, because you get because the you, people may not realise, but if you go to the textbooks, like the extract efficiency of um, hops is like thirty six percent. So for every kilogram of of you know hop material you're throwing in, you're only getting a very low percentage of actual bitterness out the other end. And so um, when you're using hop extract, you're almost at you know the 90s, high 90% of efficiency because it's it's in a purest form. You've you've extracted it already. So yeah, it would be more efficient, um, and um, it's also very much a much uh, more consistent approach to it. Uh, so you know you know if you're adding um, x liters of this stuff into you know it's like it's like adding making cordial to a certain extent. If you add I'm actually not the best example of uh, using, but you know, if you're adding the exact exact volume every time, you know you're going to get a very very close end result. Whereas with because um, you're using hot material uh, and it's got flowers and other bits and pieces in there, and your boil will affect it a little bit. So you, you know you usually get within a with a mark, but the variations are larger. So it, it's more consistent with extracts and all those sort of things. But it's and, all driven about flavour. But and, and you you raise the issue of consistency there. How hard is it? Um, when you know it's often referred to as the McDonaldization of the world, where people expect the same experience, you know, wherever they are in the world, mm. um, and it drives a lot of um, people's expectations when when they travel and when they drink uh, various products. 
how hard is it when, when you're brewing the beers uh, in for Matilda Bay um, to have when, when you're dealing with your more craft processes um, to, to to deliver that consistency? Uh, it depends on it. It is more difficult. Um, and the reason it's more difficult is in big breweries, you've got everything at your fingertips. So you've got generally you have labs that run 24-7, you know, and you've got all the machines that go bing in the background there that can test everything you need. And you've got all the staff and expertise to kind of at your fingertips. So if you want to check out, you know, where it is in fermentation profile, how much sugar is left, you can take a sample and run it and get the gravity. And that's a kind of a simple thing. Most home brewers can do that with their psychrometers and the things like that. But then if you want to look at, okay, what's the bitterness on that brew, you know, um, you can get it checked and within, you know, a couple of hours, 12 hours, you've got a result generally or even even less really. Um, you can get that done within 45 minutes generally, bitterness and stuff. So you have this ability to kind of keep checking and all the time in big labs and that's what the advantage is. So what happens if something varies, you have the ability to fix the next brew or the next fermenter and then you can say, righto, um, it doesn't really, you know, it's that kind of process control where you don't want it to go out of control. The thing about craft brewing is that you generally don't have all those resources at your fingertips. Sometimes you have none. You know, the only thing you can measure is alcohol, or you can estimate alcohol and depending on your size, and you can generally measure how much sugar's left. And a lot of it's on pallet, so you you kind of you don't have that ability to test all the time. You just wait till you're finishing fermenting or you're finishing your work. You taste it. Does it taste good? Excellent. How's the yeast taste? It looks fantastic. It tastes fantastic. The boil's going well. And there's all those checks you can do, visual ones. And then ultimately, at the end of fermentation, you taste your beer and you go, oh, that tastes fantastic. And how's the bitterness? Oh, bitterness is a bit soft. I might I might make the next one a bit 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 more bit more hops. You know. Uh, and, and so you, you tend to react and the variation then becomes, within a certain range, it just becomes larger. And I think that's some of the great things about craft beer. You know, if you look at Alpha, it started off its life back in Sanctuary Cove. I think it was a business of 35. You know, we're up at 55. So it, those things, the, the great thing about um, that variation is sometimes it leads to great successes where you can say, wow, you know, something's not gone the way we wanted it to there. What was it? Oh, oh. I double added the hops, but have a check, check the flavour out. It's fantastic, you know. And so you you can that variation can also lead to some great great results for you. Do, is is that some flexibility that you lose um, again when you move it to a brewery like Cascade? Um, you know what, what? It's not so much the brewery. It's the it, it's the success of the brand. So the more successful a brand is, the less inclined you are to change anything, okay. because you don't you don't want you know if you're buying um, a car and it's selling really well people like it. If you're making a beer and it's selling really well, people like it because of the way it is now. Mm -hmm. um, you're very hesitant to tinker with something because if it's working, if it ain't broke, don't fix it type mentality comes into it. And the more, obviously the more successful it is, then the less inclined you're going to, if anything, you're going to make sure everything's made the same way as you made the batch before and the batch before that. Okay, well, just had another question on Twitter um, mm -hmm. about itchy green pants. Um, Maybe you can tell us a little do, bit do about it. Do we maybe should preface that by explaining what itchy green pants is? Matt? That's what I was going to say. Yeah, uh, maybe you can tell us a little <laughs> bit about itchy green pants, um, and uh, then, then we'll ask the question. Uh, okay, itchy green pants is the new beer that we launched as, as soon as we came over to uh, Port Melbourne, and it's a um, it's an Australian, what we call an Australian ale. So it's all Australian malts and Australian hops. It's hopped with um, the Summer Rider, which is a Galaxy. Uh, and Galaxy, sorry, so Summer is a SARS, Australian grown SARS variety, and Galaxy is a um, high um, high oil variety hop, very high alpha as well, which gives you those lovely fruity flavours. And so we're using both Australians, so we're calling it an Australian ale. It's cloudy, 
I was going to say it's got yeast in there to, um, to give us the cloud and condition the uh, beer, finish the fermentation carbonate. And um, it's, yeah, we think it's just a really lovely, um, uh, you know, not too dry, not too sweet. It's kind of that nice midpoint there where it's got, we've got lots of body on it with the yeast and also the amount of uh, sugars that are left over. So it's a really nice kind of Australian Australian ale, very drinkable, great flavour, um, yeah, nicely balanced. Good bitterness on it, which is what we really like. It's got a bit bitterness about 30, so it's it's nice nice bitterness on the finish. And, and it's named as IGP, which is short for Itchy Green Pants, which is the, <laughs> uh, the colour of the trousers that we wear in summer, and it's a bit of a running joke amongst the brewers about, uh, you know, uh, working too hard and being hot and sweaty and can we air condition the brewery and yada yada. So it's a bit of a running joke. So with the, the yeast in it, how hard, and talking about consistency, how hard has it been getting um, that product to market? Um, yeah, it's well, it's as hard and as easy as you want to make it, really. If you uh, obsess about all these things, then, you know, it can be quite difficult. If you're quite relaxed about it, then, um, you know, yeah, it's it's quite an easy process. Uh, it's just It just comes down to if you want, um, you know, and, and, and you've, you've already asked me a question this morning already about, you know, is it bit is is fat yak less bitter or more bitter or things like that? And that, that that's the thing, you know. And I've I've, I've said the one about bees knees, you know, is it have we cut the honey out? Because people are always, I don't know, people are always, you know, looking at ways to say, what have you done that's different, you know? Um, but uh, quite often there's nothing going on. It's just natural variation that generates questions. And and if you can kind of keep you, you can, you're the people that love your beer will buy your beer happy, then that's that's your main aim really. And so yeah, it's it's a tricky process, you know, adding you know adding yeast back and making sure it ferments out and it's uh, the carbonation's right and, and all those sort of things, you know, especially when people are paying hard-earned money for those products, you want to make sure they taste good and they're in stock. Scott, probably a, oh, sorry. Happy. Okay, well now now that we know a little bit about itchy green pants, um, the, the the question is, uh, and it comes from Paul Pacey in Brisbane. Brisbane craft beer addicts want IGP here pronto. Um, <laughs> so I guess when when is it going to be? Uh, Launched and also he uh, says uh, thank you for Alpha Pale Ale, nice Big bit of one. feedback and uh, please bring back Rooftop Red. So uh, we, we, yeah, we, right. we, we, we might answer the first part of that question. Um, IGP, given that Prof and I were uh, invited through the brewery uh, over a month ago and it's mm -hmm. only just starting to roll out in Sydney, it, yep. it seems to be going very very slowly. Yep. Yeah, I well, would just um, uh, easy easy approach. Um, there's uh, always a lot going on um you know and so we're just um you know we're still tidying up um the brewery the bar is opening in a couple of weeks so that's really exciting so that's taking a lot of our time we've got um you know i've got more tanks that i've got to put in after the the bars open so yeah it's just a case of gently gently with this product it's new it's we're not going to you know send it out to a million pubs we're just going to feed it out there and, and see how whether people enjoy it and take and what the take-up is but you know it, it's progressively rolling out we're getting good reorders which is really exciting for us um sometimes we don't want to force products down their throat uh, we think it's a it's a great product um and the feedback that we've been getting at the moment has been awesome and so we've been getting a lot of reorders which is which is nice so Yes, it's coming. Um, and any, uh, any, any I can't actually give you a date off the top of my head. Um, I won't. I don't actually know when when that occurs, but I know it's on the it's on the schedule to launch um, up there. And I know um, not, uh, not, your 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 mate and mine will be definitely uh, keen to get it up there, Gail. And not that we have uh, any power here at all at um, Radio Brews News, but I reckon <laughs> if we give a bit of a, a shout out to uh, yep. to Foxy, Jamie yep. Fox, who's uh, you know the 
He's kind of the spiritual head, really, of Matilda Bay, isn't he? Or at least he likes to think so, is it? He doesn't <laughs> like to think so. He won't, he won't get upset that I said that. But I, I, I do have to give him a big shout-out. He's been out in it for the longest. Yeah, that's right. He, he he started as a sales rep back in, goodness me, I don't know, about the time he started the company. So, well, it would have been uh, 2000s or so, 2003 or something like that. I think that was his first job, actually, uh, as well, a sales guy. And then yeah. he kind of... You know, went over to sales and he did a bit of marketing and he's come back to the fray. So, yeah, he's been associated with uh, the, the Matilda Bay for the longest period of time within the company, I think. That brings in uh, a question. I'm going to throw a curly one at you. Um, you know, you, you've, you, you've come through the Matilda Bay Brewery and you just see guys that really love what they do. Yep. They are passionate. All, all of the things that um, beer lovers celebrate in beer. Mm-hmm. How hard is it working in a in a very large company um, like CUB, where you know you, you might be answering at a, at a brand level, um, you know, not talking about beer, but talking about brands, to a guy that sold deodorant two years ago? Um, how hard is it as as a brewer, somebody who loves this product, to deal with you know accountants and marketers um, who have sometimes conflicting views about uh, the the way that what you do needs to be done? Um, yeah, it's a interesting question. the The reality is the way we're we're set up is that um, we've been very fortunate in um, the people that we deal with. Like, so realistically, to answer that question, one hundred percent on the brand side, Jamie's the guy that would, would be able to do so. From my side, I've been fortunate in that um, I report to brewers and people that uh, fully understand the passion. And what we're trying to do because they have the same passion like i think i've said it to you guys before is that this is you know one of the it's not the plum job in the company it's definitely in the top three um and that's because people recognize that we are brewers you know at the end of the day it, the company overall the parent company is is based on making beer and so they from my point of view everyone who recognizes that if you get yourself in a situation where you have the ability to directly influence that like i do by making new brands, by making new beers, by talking to people about beer, by going out and helping people taste beer and then marry it with food and do all those wonderful things that I'm fortunate enough to do. Um, it's it's a great thing for not only Matilda Bay, but just beer in general and definitely CUV. So they're pretty excited about it and they want more of it. They think it's great. You know, if we win, like we won, you know, we did the double last week on uh, for the Royal Australian Show, which was fantastic. We got... Um, Congratulations on that. We were going to bring that up. Thank you. Yeah, no, I've been, oh, I was stoked. That was great. So we've pulled off the single for the last three years. Alpha's won, I think, consistently. And then this year, Redback's come back in with a show, which has is, is been fabulous because we, as you know, I reckon Redback uh, is one of the real unsung heroes of um, the brand. We say it's a brand that launched the company. Uh, and we still think it's an absolutely fab, has an absolutely fabulous ability to contribute to the beer landscape. Uh, but it's, it is sometimes a difficult tell week beers. Uh, in in this country, especially on the east coast, but it's uh, yeah. Just, so when you get when you get a win in something like the RAS, it's great, great, great fill up for the brand. It's great for us, you know. We say yeah, we're still doing something right. We're still whatever other people say. It's it's tasting good. We know it tastes good, and hopefully more people will get a chance to drink it. So that's the aim of that's the aim of um, of what we try and do. So we've been fortunate in that the people that I report to recognize that and the same with Jamie to a large extent they recognize what we do is really important and to a large extent as long as you know you keep all the all the right things in line um, you know so we make sure people are safe and uh, we make sure the beer tastes good and and we keep making good brands then uh, we're pretty much 
allowed a fairly large free reign, which is great, great fun. Just on that, because I mean, look, all, all you said about the beer um, is spot on, and perhaps one of my biggest criticisms of the broader company is that they, I, I really get the feel sometimes that they don't appreciate what they have in Matilda Bay, and uh, you know, I, I think that unfortunately, at, at a company level, Matilda Bay has never really had any sense of direction. Um, yeah, they, they don't know what to do with it, and uh, sometimes the beers aren't celebrated. Whenever I raise that with uh, people in the larger company, CUB, um, it's always, well, you know, craft beer is only X percent of the market, you know, Corona sells more than that, um, you know, than the whole of the craft beer market. And I, you know, I worry that uh, sometimes the focus on the biggest part of the market or the lowest hanging fruit and uh, uh, Foxy talks about you know, big brewers have to have big hands to because that's their business model yeah. um, but I, I'm sort of just wondering that sometimes Matilda Bay doesn't get the credit within the company it deserves and beer generally suffers because the, the, the flavours and the, the, the craft sometimes get lost and I think Matilda Bay suffers for that as well is that something you can comment on it's a, yeah, well, again that- yeah, that's that. Well, that's true. It, it's it depends on you know it depends on which hat you have on at the same time. And when I say it's true, it's true. What you said is that you know if you're a big company and you've got shareholders and all those sort of things, then you've got to it's, it, it's your job is you're a business manager, aren't you? You know, and if you yep. you're, if you answer to a lot of shareholders, it's your job to run the business in the best interest of those shareholders. Uh, ultimately, that's what your aim is. Um, our job, Jamie, and my job is really simple. We're the evangelists. We're the evangelists in the company that stand there and jump up and down and say, yep, we're going to make a beer and we're going to sell 2,000 cases. And people look at you like you're mad. <laughs> you know, and, you go, and, and they kind of look at each other and go, what the hell are these blokes on? Um, okay. But that's our job. <laughs> that's our job. Our job is to, is to say this beer is going to be a Roche beer and it's going to, re- you know, realistically, most people are going to go, oh, what the heck's going on here? I've got a, a roast pork in my beer glass. What's going on? You know? Um, with smoked pork in my big life, I can't stand it. But there's going to be that 1% of people that are going to sit across the bar, like we did um, a couple of years ago when, when we launched the latest ambassador, cracked it over, Ian Watson, yourself, I think it was Rory, uh, and we sat there and we cracked it open, had a taste, and just pulled the beer apart, broke it down to its components, and then spoke about its merits. And the same thing we do when we do alpha, the same thing when we sit there and say um, with... Uh, wheat beers and we say you know what's the clove levels like you know what else is going on there and that's what our job is is to really sing that evangelism about beer in all its merits and so far we've done very well very well for ourselves and also for the company so there is a recognition of um inside and i can tell you there's definitely been very good recognition of what we're doing um from the ceo's um, right down to you know guys that, that we talk to every day and and just other brewers you know like at the end of the day what people don't understand is Brewers are very similar made up, whether you're making, you know, Carlton Draft, VB, Two is New, whatever it is. Brewers are brewers, you know, uh, and they love beer. They love making beer. They love the different ways. They love talking about beers. They love talking about boils. They, they, you know, we can bore each people to death very quickly <laughs> with details and science and all this sort of stuff and flavour profiles and, you know, CO2 contents and gas partial pressures and all this sort of stuff. But we are brewers. And, and so people, all brewers recognise making good beers across, you know, the gamut of beers. You know, beer is beer, and then people can break it down into craft or mainstream or new age or whatever you want to call it. But at the end of the day, brewers just see it as beer. 
And if you make a good beer, regardless of how you make it or the type of beer you make, then people, brewers recognise that. So we, uh, our company actually does recognise the work we do really well. Okay, because it's one of the things I look at as, a, as an outsider. I, I look yeah. at the number of yeah. tastings that um, Prof and I do. Um, yep. You know, we're... we're, we're d- d- despite being, um, you know, fairly passionate and sort of not being... Ha- you know, not being afraid to have a crack every now and then. We celebrate the Matilda Bay beers. We use them a lot. And I look at the reaction that I get um, whenever I serve, you know, um, Fat Yak or Alpha Pale Ale. And, uh, you know, we, we had some banter last week when you won about some of the things I would match Redback to. And uh, yep. you know, it, people just suddenly go, wow, beer is so much different to what I thought. Mm. Um but yet, as an outsider, I look at the the, the company. Yet, um, you're often touring um, the, the the country, flying the flag at, at beer festivals. But your the Matilda Bay products seem to be um, sold by the same guys that you know used to sell wine and the mainstream beers. Um, could Matilda Bay be bigger if there was a little bit more investment in selling it itself? I mean, it, it seems to leave itself to the whims of the market a little bit more, and not having the same sort of um, you know brand activism that you know e- even someone like your direct competitor Matil- um, James Squires has you know they they've got a team of uh, a state based team um, in in each state out really pushing just that one product is is that something that Matilda Bay has suffered for a little bit by not having a dedicated team of you know beer ambassadors I think um, we did have um, it's interesting but we did have a um, specialty team a while ago it was called the SBT. That was yep. the team Jamie actually ran before he came the marketing trick. Um and so it's uh, it's something that we're always looking at. But I, I think our sales guys uh, that get involved with Matilda Bay do a fabulous job. You know, I was in Western Australia last week with some of the team over there, and uh, uh, we did uh, two beer dinners, which were sold out. One was sixty people, the other one was one hundred and thirty. Um, you know, I've been asked to go to, as you know, last time we caught up, oh no, it was actually the time before, I think I was doing a milk run, you know, up, um, up, up north. Uh, so there's a lot of, a lot of our guys, the advantage that I guess we have is that we, um, you know, the guys that, and girls that get involved in the Matilda Bay brand, uh, I think they do a fabulous job. But if you had more, yeah, more is better. <laughs> can't argue with that uh, and it's something that we're always looking at and, and we're, our business model and how we're going to run it and how it going, how it works and what's best and uh, yeah so that, listen I, I agree that more's, more's better I think our guys do a great job uh, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, you know as as we find better things to do and that, more people to do it then hopefully that'll improve that probably needs, leads nicely Scott into um, I guess the next phase of the the, the journey of Matilda Bay with the we touched on before the new brewery at Port Melbourne and the fact that that will have a public side to it. Do you think that that will, I guess, like yeah, people when they can actually see the brewers working and and uh, I guess you know come into the brewery and drink the beer over the bar that's basically come straight from the the, the tanks that the I guess it brings the the beer a bit or brings them a bit closer to the beer, sort of literally as well as sort of you know uh, metaphorically. Yeah, Prof, you're right. It's it is very much a as as I've told you, it is a very big part of the decision as why we moved. You know, it's been a very big move. Um, you know, lots going on, um, a lot of upheaval. But and the real the real driver behind it is so that we can actually get much closer to the people that love our beers because 
so many times, um, well, you know, you, you know yourselves, Maddie, the number of times, um, you know, people have said, can you, you know, can you tour the, the brewery? And you go, well, I'm not really set up to do that. I'd like to, but, you know, <laughs> and uh, whereas this site, you'll be going, yep, absolutely, pop on down. You know, there's a tour at two o'clock and there's a tour at, you know, 11 or whatever it is. Come on down, have a look. Um, you'll see the brewers running around um, and it'll be great. We we are so excited. I just can't wait until this. And it's starting, it's coming really close at the moment. You know, we've got um, bench tops going in. Barney, who's running it, he's got running it really well. You know, the builders are not far. They're only a couple of weeks away. And then there'll be, you know, teething periods where we do, you know, try and run stuff and have, you know, we might get two dozen people in, you know, to start with and say, well, what, what works, what doesn't work, you know, all those things you do. But it's a massive part of the strategy going forward because it's it's really an option where you're saying to um saying to the beer lovers, this is how we make the beer, this is how we think you should drink it. You know, this is what we think's the best thing. And that's gonna be a two way street for me. So one, we're gonna to say to you, this is how we make the beer. Where it's literally some of it's coming from our tanks. We've just kegged these things. They've only gone from, you know, the back of the, our cold room down to the bar cold room. So it's travelled all of fifty two metres. Um, this is in the best, you know, best tasting beer that you'll be able to get short of having it out of the tank, which will be three taps at the bar that actually come directly from ta tanks. Um, and and so that will say, this is how it should taste. This is what you should expect. This is the way we think you should serve it. You know, it works with this type of food. What do you think? And, you know, and so, and as we all know, people aren't, aren't you know, they start off in beer dinners and all the rest of it have been quiet, but usually by the second beer, they're quite willing to give you advice. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. you don't want to hear what they have to say, uh, but generally very forthright in information. And what, what I'm really excited about is to hear that, because that's what I love about this job is that you get out and talk to people. Because when you're, when you're a brewer and that you're just focusing at your desk all the day, you just kind of, that disconnected you know you're looking at figures and all the rest of it but it, it, that, that information where you're talking to people at beer festivals and dinners and all the rest of it really closes that loop you know i really love this beer but it's just a bit or you know i don't get the name or you know whatever it is that's feedback that's invaluable and so if you've got people coming into a bar and just from a simple point we put in 1400 liters which is basically the sample tap on our fermenters we put in 1400 liters and then we just you know so it's 28 kegs or whatever it is we end up with you know this many uh kegs of beer and uh, we put it in the bar and, you know, and if Barney's still there going, guys, I've had this beer on tap for a week now and I've only gone through, you know, three kegs. You go, well, okay, well, that's not a really big seller, but what's the feedback been? So that's information. Or you go, he goes, mate, I've just smashed through an entire 10 kegs in a weekend. That's an absolute cracker of a beer. Let's let's do something with it. So you get that advantage as well. You get that feedback straight away from, from uh, beer lovers and they're going, so this is the best beer I've ever had. Make it again. You know, so that's what we hope will happen. And it, actually, that, that, that's a good point because one of the things that uh, you, you often hear hoteliers talking about is, oh, this beer is not particularly successful. We're only going through a keg a week, you know, all of yeah, our other yeah. taps. But they never look at, and, and I'm thinking of a beer like Alpha in this, um, in, in, in this because it's a fairly big beer. You can't tend to drink a lot of it, mm. so you're never going to sell a lot of it. But I mm. wonder whether there's ever been any study where when beers have been on side by side and it's almost like companion planting where the things around it flourish because yeah. you've got this other beer on that is bringing people in and you know, they might only have one or two of the alpha, but yeah. then Bohemian Pills actually sells twice as much. Do, do you guys ever study that sort of thing or is it purely brand, you know, individual beers um, being looked at in turnover? Well, we do. We, we, we actually, that's part of, of what the 
what we do when we go into you know pubs and, and things like that we, we talk about exactly that point that you know <clears throat> we talk it's it's at, at the end of the day the person that knows their business is the publican because he's the one that's there and so the first thing you um, uh, talk about with the publican is um, you know what's your, what are your customer base you know who, who, who do you think's here now if you've got the you know the four to six crowd that come in for a quick beer after work and you know realistically what do they want they're all looking for a carton draft or a cascade or or whatever just and that's who they're going to sell it to or you know he uh is is the public and trying to change that uh mentality of his group he's really happy with that group but he wants to offer something different and he says okay i'm thinking of craft or it is it truly a craft bar then and then the craft guys are generally the craft bars are the ones that come to you and saying you know yeah definitely want alpha on because we know that if we have alpha then people are going to come in because i'm one of the few bars in the area that has alpha you know, so that that brings people looking for that type of brand in, and so you're right that 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 does do it. The people that that need to be convinced of that, I guess, at the end of the day, are the the publicans, and it depends on their business model, the you know the group of people that they're trying to entice into their venue, whether they're looking for something different. So some people, a lot of people we find now are dabbling in it. So there's always one or two taps. Uh, you know, Fat Yak's kind of one of the, what we call the gateway beers and that sort of stuff, Big Helga, those sort of stuff. They'll have one or two taps of those type of beers. People will dabble in it, but generally they stick with the mainstream stuff. And then you have the other end of the spectrum where they have one or two main, you know, mainstream beers, and for them that would be Big Helga and Fat Yak, and then they'll have you know 20 taps of something at the other end, the other end of the spectrum that are really big and flavoursome. And, and uh, yeah, so that that's a very very valid point. And quite often what you're talking to is is the public and say what what do you want at your venue and then try and tailor it for them. Now, what's I guess we need to look at the future for Matilda Bay. What have you got coming up? And uh, a question that I'm sure that uh, Prof would like to ask. Uh, when we were down there, we got to try a Redback off the tap, um, mm -hmm. unfiltered, yep. and uh, we both loved it. Yep. Are you going to be able to do some specialty beers like that? And have you got any special beers planned for the near future? I've got four. You'll be happy to hear there's four in tank at the moment. Um, large, just ported, for, yep. Uh, are they for national distribution or are they just for... Uh... Oh, at, at the moment, um, we're only looking at those for um, just the bar. So, and, and I just, I mean, in the principle of taste this, what do you think? You know, new bar opening up, so we're going to have a whole heap of different ones. And then we'll see what happens. So we're actually putting that plan that I spoke about, you know, tell me what you think of these beers into action from day one. Sounds like you're going to have with... some homework there, Prof. <laughs> it does. And just just quickly, Scotty, because the um, the bar was still very much a work in progress and, and um, we didn't sort of get to see. How many mm. taps will you have available at the... So you, you'll have four coming 12? straight from the from the tanks. Yeah. How, so many, how many taps up. in total? 12, 12 all up, okay. and I think, there's, I think there's three taps with the ability to bring four different, yeah, so there'll be three taps that'll come straight from, if I said four before I was wrong, it's going to be three taps at the end of the bar, which will come out of a potential four um, ferment, uh, fermenter tanks. So, yeah, it's just pipe work length. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, so there's 12, bar, uh, 12 taps all up. Three of them, you know, at the uh, north end of the bar will be straight out of the uh, fermenter storage vessel. Can't wait. Can't wait. No, I'm just Me on... Yeah, you're just, just dry, to the, uh, to the dabbing your to, tongue tongue with a uh, handkerchief. I am. You just started talking about Redback again, and yeah, nah, oh, we're there. Good, isn't it? Like we did, um, I did. Uh, we had the board in 
right in the middle of the move, which was <laughs> fun. Um, and um, it was a fabulous night. But it was just, and it shows you how, when you, you get back to what, what you're talking about, so this, is, this is the board of CUB. Um, at the end of the night, everybody was huddled around um, the, the uh, Hefeweizen tank, just and standing there chatting to me and, and going, oh, this is... <laughs> This is fantastic. How come we don't sell, you know, megalitres of this stuff, you know? And, and, and what's the biggest fermenter you can get in here? And, and why don't we, you know, it's just, it just really, really, at, the, at the, the basis of it, beer people are beer people, and, and you give them a good beer, and they'll just really, just really appreciate it. And that, it was amazing. It's the same, same principle. Everyone just sits there underneath that tank and, and says, wow, those banana flavours are amazing, and the clovey notes are there, and... And that's what I was talking to the judges, uh, Willie, the other day when he had a chat um, about, you know, Redback. He said it's just, it was just lovely and clovey and um, beautiful banana flavour. It tasted fantastic. Well done. And so we're pretty happy. So can't wait. We can't wait till the bars open. We're all pretty excited. About it. <laughs> it's some of the it's some of the advantages of actually going away and coming back after a couple of days because there's a lot more work done. Where you see it every day, yeah, God, they haven't done much, have they? Like watching your children grow up. That's right. And, and and for those playing along at home, it's at, uh, is it 89? 89, uh, 30 Birch, Street, yeah. 89 Birdie yeah. Street in Port Melbourne. Yeah, so, so it's five minutes from, from the city. Pretty much, yeah. I'm looking at the city now, looking at the landscape, city landscape. So. And my children were go. very, very impressed when I told them that I'd been to the home of the Birdie Beetle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a good a good line we need to claim, doesn't it? Well, yeah. We, we, I'm always well, a bit funny sharing could my could be a alcoholic. chocolate honeycomb stout, maybe. What do you reckon? Yeah, Sorry, well, that's, you... that's right. I don't know how much honeycomb would actually hit the uh, stout, but it's a fair bit of going to my tummy, but uh, <laughs> it's not a bad idea. We might steal that one, claim it as our own. Done. Now, uh, one last question from Twitter. Um, obviously, from a home brewer. Um, this is Jace, also known as at radical underscore brewer. Uh, radical can I have brewing. a detailed recipe for Alpha Ale, please? No. <laughs> <laughs> Jace, I could have told you that, mate. I've been trying for ages. Can you give us a hint? Yes, absolutely. Um, lots of uh, crystal malts, obviously, to give you that lovely malty biscuity flavours, melanoidins, things like that. You could, you'd play with it. Won't be giving you the exact recipe, but that's in the ballpark anyway. And um, so, yeah, obviously, it's 100% malt. Most of your most of your um, extract will be coming from pale malt, so I'd make it about 70% pale, and then the 30% you can play with, you know, the, the darker malts that that you take, you like, you know, so melanoidins, Viennas, you know, crystals, T1, T2, T3, all those sort of beautiful biscuity, multi dark coloured malts that'll give you wonderful flavours and multi colours and biscuity colours. Um, and then um, it's no it's no secret that we use uh, Cascade because it is a Sierra Nevada style North American pale ale. So it's the Cascades are the predominant, not predominant hop, but one of the major hops in there. And the other one is Amarillo. And so if you use those two hops and we add them, uh, early boil, mid boil, late boil, and we dry hop them. So if you do all those sort of things, you're not going to be too far away from an alpha. Uh, and then you know, just pick a yeast strain that you like. It is an ale, um, so you can um, either grab one that's you know a, a true you know USO five or one of those North American pale ale style ales, or just you can use any yeast that you really like. Cooler fermentation. That's a secret though. Keep the fermentation temperature down, and you don't get too many fusel oils and other flavours coming through, which should allow the um, the lovely hop aromas, those fruity hop aromas, to come through. 
and it needs to be better. So be generous in your hop, um, hopping. So there you go, Joe. So apart from giving you an actual calendar date of when is best to brew it, I think you've pretty much got it all there, given the <laughs> stop wasn't going to give anything away. Do you brew in it my, under a full moon? In my zeal, I might have given it away, let's just say. <laughs> <laughs> Scott Vincent, it's always good fun. Thank you for, uh, you know, uh, always making yourself available to us um, on Brews News. And uh, thank, thank you. you very much for joining us today. And hopefully we'll get to catch up with you for another beer very soon. Yeah, hope to get up there, and uh, Pete, looking forward to see you locally. Yeah, no worries. Good to see you again, mate. Right. Can't wait. Mate, ciao. And Prof, now that was Scotty Vincent. What do you reckon? Uh, yeah, look, he's a, a good friend and a great bloke, and even though he wears glasses and he kind of has this scientific look about him and he's got a lot of science behind him, at the end of the day, and look, we've touched on this with a lot of the guests, there's, there's still a lot of passion driving what it is that he does. And and I think I think that's reflected in the uh, in the beers. Uh, a little bit topical, a little bit relevant. Just this morning, I did notice uh, that one of my followers had tweeted that he saw Dog Bolter on special, and that with the, that particular, I think it was an Uncle Dan's um, outlet down here in Melbourne was discontinuing uh, stocking Dog Bolter. And I must admit, I find I found it a little bit hard to get the last couple of times I've been in. So. If you are a fan of Dog Bolter, get and it's or if you haven't tried it, get in there and and, and have a look. Try it. Yeah, look, I mean that, that's it, it's interesting that you say that because you know one of the things that uh, I've I've asked a number of times is you know if they put as much um, effort behind selling Alpha as they did behind uh, uh, Fat Yak, you know, would it be because everyone widely regards it as being one of the really good craft beers in Australia. Yeah. Um, but yet, you know, it was actually when I came to do some research for the first Beer Lover's Guide, I did a thing on microbrewing in Australia. It was one of those epiphany things where I spoke to CUB about it. And, um, you know, they, they did point out that in uh, Alpha's been around for more than a decade. There is some debate as to whether... Brad Rogers, uh, when he created it uh, down at the Century Cove, Century Cove Brewing yeah. um, or Masthead Brewing, um, that they may have actually got the jump on the Australia or the American pale ale style in Australia over Little Creatures, but uh, we'll, we'll let them fight that one out. Um, but you know, it's ten years old. It's highly regarded. It's won any number of medals um, nationally uh, for being a really high quality pale ale. Um, but in its first year, uh, Fat Yak outsold it by more than 150 times. Yeah. Now, to, to me, that was a really big illustration of where the beer market's at. And for all of the guys that want to, you know, toss off at um, Fat Yak or 150 Lashes or, you know, Golden Ale, those sorts of beers, look, that's where... The market, the market is actually yeah. the market's not even there yet. When you consider that those beers constitute less than one percent of the market, you know, the, even the, the big brewery craft beers constitute less than one percent of the market combined, and Corona outsells all of those beers. You know, we'll get there. You know, it's it's baby yeah. steps. Yep. Um, and while some people have been a little bit quicker to 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 the end point of uh, going for the big flavors, some of those smaller ones are uh, mm. you know. So some of the less 
um, challenging ones are where the market still needs to be. So, uh, you know, it's, it's always good to have a chat to Scotty about that and you know, get that perspective, see what yeah, they think. And I think the, the new venue, I think, will do great things for them as well because it'll um, it'll just open the brand up, I guess, to the to the public a little bit more. And, and uh, I don't know, I, I, I have a hope that you get in there and you actually see it all happening and you you see the, the physicality of it and the, the uh, you know, the, the, the handcraftedness of what it is that they're doing down there. In fact, yeah, can, and Big Helga done at other venues aside, um, and, and get a better appreciation for uh, you know this this wonderful thing called beer uh, that we don't sort of you know forsake one for the other. You can you can you can like a lot of different beers. Indeed. So, mate, I've got now. What do you reckon? Do you reckon it's uh, cowboy hats or leader? Do you know what I thought about this? And I thought, in all honesty, the world is a very 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 big place, but. There really can only be room for so many cowboy-based beer barrel polka outfits. <laughs> I figure that we have exhausted the cowboy genre of roll out the barrel beer barrel polka. We have to. So I'm just thinking we, we've got to go back to to tradition. So I'm the, the six fact Dutchman or something like. You going leather pants? Yeah, I reckon. I reckon. One, Are you going to surprise two, me? Three, four. Is, is that it? Turn it up. Is that it? Is that it? Have a listen. Oh, you're kidding me. <laughs> no, I like that. That's good. What is that? Who is that? Oh, I like that. Yeah. We should sign out since they're listening in the background there to the music and we're going to get drowned out in a minute. So, cheerio, listeners. Cheerio, listeners. Thanks again. Cheers.